So speaking of uh, needing God, we are absolutely dependent upon him for our very next breath even. Now think about it. Think about what's happening when we breathe. Is that that two systems in our body are working together. You've got the cardiovascular system. You know, your heart, your heart is pumping 2,000 gallons a day through all these blood vessels, 60,000 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels in each person. If you put them end to end, they would stretch around the globe more than three times. And then you have your respiratory system, okay? And there's something going on every time you breathe, and we're completely dependent upon God for it, is you have these little capillaries, which are these tiny, tiny blood vessels, only a cell thick. And you have the alveoli, which are part of the lung, and also tiny little uh, cells. And when you breathe, something happens. There's an exchange. It's called the diffusion of gases. And what that means is that the carbon dioxide uh, in your blood system is coming out and you breathe it out. And at the same time, you're breathing oxygen into your blood and it's strengthening it. So let's all take a deep breath. (sighs) Easy, huh? But amazing things are happening. In fact, in that second of breath, your body created over a million cells. Because in your body, you have over 200 different kinds of cells, and all together, over 37 trillion cells, each cell kind of a universe to itself. So amazing and complicated. What an incredible, amazing design the body is. We, we see the parts that are working, and there are other parts that we don't see, and yet are absolutely indispensable. I don't usually think about my kidneys or my liver, but I'm glad for them. They're working all the time. And all these systems working together in interdependency, it's just an amazing thing. But I'm not here today to give you a biology lesson because I just exhausted my knowledge, all right? (laughs) I want to talk about another body. I want to talk about another kind of body that is just as amazing The design is just incredible, and that is the church. We're talking about the church, and this is the last of three sermons in our series called Essential Church. And on the first Sunday, we talked about what essentially is the church, and we said that the church is God's masterpiece. Because the church is the second incarnation of Jesus in the world, the church is the very presence of God here We uh, define the church as a group of people called out, a called out group of people, called out from the world, out from under dominion, from sin and Satan, uh, for the purpose of belonging to Jesus and knowing him, and also for the purpose of calling out others from the world, out from under the dominion of sin and Satan, to belong to Jesus and to know him. That's what the church essentially is. God's masterpiece, the apple of his eye. He loves her enough to give himself for her completely and to be with her. 
That's what the church is essentially. Then the next Sunday, last Sunday, we talked about um, why is the church essential to you? Why is the church essential to us? And we said because we need spiritual family. We need to be a part of a spiritual family, including spiritual authority in our lives. And we need We need sound doctrine or teaching rooted in the word of God. And we need to fellowship together and grow together uh, around the word of God. And finally, we need corporate worship. We we need to uh, celebrate the ordinances of baptism and communion uh, together, as well as just helping each other to worship God daily by taking ourselves off the throne of our lives and putting ourselves on the altar of lives of our uh, lives because that's kind of our only reasonable response uh, to all that God has done. That's the worship. And we, and we help each other do that. We need that desperately. That's why the church is essential to us. And today, as we finish this series, I want to ask the question, why are you essential to the church? Why are you essential to the church? Why are you absolutely necessary for the church? Why can't the church live without you? Now, the obvious answer to that one is the right answer. So let me rephrase the question slightly, then you all answer it, all right? I think you'll all be able to do this together. Why can't the church exist without you? That wasn't very enthusiastic, okay? You you gotta get, okay, all right, you gotta get more enthusiastic about it. We're going to start with because, okay? Why can't the church exist without you? Because, yeah, okay, we are the church. That's exactly right. That's the right answer. The The church can't do without you. It can't exist without you. You are essential to the church because you are the church. You are the church. That's what our, um, kind of our, theme verse for this whole series says, and so I want us all to read it out loud uh, together. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, read out loud with me. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There's no church apart from you. No you, no church. You are essential to the church because you are the church. The church is not a physical structure, The church is not some kind of hierarchy, a structure of positions and titles and offices. The church is not its programs. The church is not some abstract theological idea or ideal. The church is you. But watch out, because when I say you, I'm saying it plural, all right? The church is not I or me. The church is we or us, it's us together. The church is we, that means it's many different individuals functioning relationally, interdependently as the body of Christ. And that is of course Paul's favorite picture of the church, so let's look at it. Turn in your Bibles, whether that's print or digital, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, same chapter we find our theme verse in. 1 Corinthians 12, and if you want to reach in front of you to that Bible that's in the rack, you'll find 1 Corinthians 12 on page 931, page 931. 
All right, let's talk about uh, this thing called the body, the church. It has many different parts. We're going to dive in here at, at verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with. Now, if you were finishing this sentence, what word would you use? What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. But look what he says. So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. Paul associates so closely, so intimately, the church with Jesus. He really sees the church as the body of Christ in this world that when he's talking about the church, he actually calls it Christ. We are Christ in the world. But we are made up of many different parts, many different parts. The only way for uh, the church to thrive and survive and to be everything that the church is called to be, it, it's, it's when there are lots of different kind of people coming together in unity. So opposites attract, so they say, and I think that it's true. I, I kind of think we could, we could spend the next several weeks uh, talking about how opposites attract, and that's a good thing. I think the only way there can kind of be completeness or wholeness or fullness is, is when we have diversity or, or different people coming together in unity. And there's power in that. But, of course, it's also hard. It creates conflict. In a marriage, the only way for a husband and wife uh, to become one and to experience the, the glory and the mystery and the power of that is if we learn to understand and accept and even embrace the differences of the other person. By the way, you heard it, but let me encourage you again. Uh, we're starting a sermon series next Sunday on marriage, Marriage 101, where we'll talk about some of these things, kind of touch base with the basics, and really it's about relationships, so it's good for everybody. Everybody's going to learn from it, no matter your status in life, about healthy relationships. But if, if we are going to accurately reflect our head, Jesus Christ, then we have to be willing to understand and accept and embrace differences in people. What kind of a person are you? See, right here in, in this group of people, it's a pretty big group of people, we have all kinds. And we have all these spectrums, and we land somewhere on the spectrum. Kind of, who, who are you? Can you find yourself here? We have kind of on, we have truth speakers, and we have grace givers. And we need them both, but they can be very different. Uh, we have uh, teachers and speakers and kind of spotlight people. I'm going to start sweating because I'm literally in the spotlight, right? And then we have helpers and, and servers and people who like to work behind the scenes. But we need them both. Uh, we have people who are kind of evangelistically wired who say the church is all about seeing people come to Christ. And then we have people who are more pastorally wired who say the church is all about helping people become like Christ. So which is it? Okay, thank you. You're still with me. It's good to hear. All right. Uh, we, have, uh, we have kind of the artsy aesthetic people and then we also have the more linear, pragmatic, uh, mathematical people. Uh, we, have, we have traditionalists who guard and preserve the past. And we have innovators who kind of push and press into the future. 
And we need them both, but there can be a lot of conflict. Where are you on that spectrum? We got risk takers, you know, who want to who wanna grab the initiative and get it done. You know, better to have tried and failed than to have not done anything at all. And then we have the um, cautious, patient, thoughtful, thorough people. We need them both. We need them all. Which one are you? We got big picture, idea, vision people. And then we have kind of practical, detail, do it kind of people. Now, I hope that you kind of picked yourself out in all of that and would admit that sometimes I struggle to understand, accept, and embrace the other side of that spectrum. But we need all these different kinds of people if we are going to fully and completely reflect the glory of Jesus Christ in the world. It's a challenge, though. The church is not about uniformity. It's not about us all being exactly alike. It's about unity. But these differences, different kinds of people, can, can cause friction and tension. How are we going to have unity? If we don't have uniformity, where does the unity come? Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about next. We are united by one spirit, verses 13 and 14. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. When each one of us put our faith in Jesus, we were baptized. And we're not talking about physical water baptism, we're talking about being baptized by the Spirit, which is to be, to be indwelt by the Spirit. That happens at the point of faith. It's so interesting, uh, kind of the pictures he uses of being baptized by the Spirit and also drinking the Spirit, gulping down the Spirit, but kind of pictures of the ordinances of baptism and communion, but not the, the physical acts, but the essential truth of it is that, that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by the Spirit, and because the Spirit is in all believers, we are connected together into the body of Christ. We are baptized also into the body of Christ. We become a part, a member of the body of Christ. And, and to drink down the Spirit is to recognize that we all have the same source of life. It's the very presence of God in us by his spirit. Jesus referred to the spirit as this this well bubbling up, this water bubbling up to life. That's our spiritual source of life that is in all of us. We all drink from the same source, and it's the spirit of God. That's what unites us. The spirit is the source of our unity, our oneness, Christ in us with all of our personalities, our backgrounds, our temperaments, our idiosyncrasies, our natural abilities, and our spiritual gifts. With all of those differences, it is Christ in us that makes us one. He is our unity. Now, I was going to give an illustration about Notre Dame football team, but I'm going to just go on. (laughs) Skip that. Many different parts... United by one spirit, dispensing God's grace. I love this. Now, I would, it would be dishonest of me to go through this chapter a little bit and not admit that it's primarily about this whole topic of spiritual gifts. 
dispensing God's grace. Look at back at look back at verse one, chapter twelve, verse one. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, so there's your kind of your title phrase for the chapter. It's about spiritual gifts, and then drop down to verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. I like how Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit as the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, spiritual gifts are the expression of the truth and reality of the Spirit in us. Spiritual gifts are the expression, the manifestation, the outward working of the reality of the Spirit of God living in us. That's a spiritual gift. <clears throat> I like to define spiritual gifts this way. It's a God-given ability, a God-given ability by which we dispense God's grace to others. A God-given ability by which we dispense God's grace to others. Now, why do I define it that way? Especially that end part there. By which we dispense God's grace to others. The Greek word for spiritual gift is charisma. And you'll notice that the root word is charis, which means grace. Like charis fellowship. We're part of the charis fellowship. Grace fellowship. So the root idea is grace. So a spiritual gift is a grace gift. It's a gift of God's grace given to us freely. But it's, it's not just a gift of grace to us. It's actually, catch this, it's the means by which God's grace flows through us to others. It's how God dispenses his grace to his entire body, the church. I love what Peter says, how Peter kind of defines spiritual gift here. Look at this from 1 Peter 4. Above all, love each other deeply because God in Christ has loved and forgiven us. We are to love others. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So it's not about just me receiving God's grace. It's a grace gift for the purpose of serving others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So what Peter says is that a spiritual gifts, all these gifts, they're various forms, expressions of God's grace, and we are to steward them as we serve others for the common good. That's the whole idea of spiritual gifts. As we exercise our spiritual gifts, then God's grace flows through us to the body and, and we, we experience his grace in all of its goodness and fullness and completeness. Do you see it? Did you get it? You, you are called to be someone who is a conduit, a channel, a dispenser of the grace of God to each other. That's an awesome thing. Can you think of anything more valuable and precious and desirable and needed than the grace of God? I can't. 
I can't think of anything that we need more than the grace of God. And guess what? How he's designed his body, the church, um, it, it is through our spiritual gifts and our willingness to steward them, to use them, to practice them, to exercise them, that his grace flows through us to each other and then out to the world. It's kind of like oxygen is to alveoli. Oxygen comes in and then it is dispersed throughout the body. All right? And it wouldn't get dispersed if it weren't for the alveoli. And we are God's alveoli. Did you ever think about that? I didn't until this week. <laughs> but what would we, what happened if all the alveoli stopped functioning? Uh, the body would die because it doesn't have oxygen. We need God's grace. And God's dispensing his grace through you. God's alveoli. How about that? Negatively, it means that if you're not using God's gifts, you are withholding God's grace from others. You're stealing. <laughs> you're stealing from us. You're choking us. We're not getting oxygen. We're not getting God's grace if not. Again, we can only be all God wants us to be. The full picture of Christ as everyone's doing his part. Dispensing God's grace. Let me, let me use an illustration of this. We'll, we'll use money as an illustration, but I'm talking about spiritual gifts. <clears throat> Let's say I called someone up here and kind of randomly and said, okay, come up here and I'm going to give you $10,000. $10,000. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but simply grace. It's a grace gift, a gift of grace. $10,000. Here you go. I'm giving it to you. Oh, but I want you to know that there are six people in this congregation who desperately need $1,000. <clears> That's why I'm giving it to you. This gift of grace. Now, you got a choice to make, right? You can pocket it all and hold on to it. You know, ah, God's gift of grace to me. Or you can, you can discover the six people who need $1,000 in the church and you give it to them. Those are your options, right? If you, if you hold on to it, you're withholding God's grace to others. Now, I guess you could have a third option, and the third option was to give it all away, all of it. And if you did, what would God do? Well, I'll bet he'd say, oh, good job. Here's, uh, here's 100,000, <laughs> okay? I, I'm gonna give you grace as you dispense my grace. There's no limit to it. It's boundless. Are, are we choosing to be the dispensers of God's grace that he's called us to be? <clears throat> Again, I'm not talking about money, although guess what? It can be money because I think God gives some people a, a spiritual gift for um, producing wealth. They're entrepreneurs. They do it. I can't think like that. 
you know? But other people can think, they see opportunities and, and they're able to create wealth and God gives that to them as a gift, not to hold on for themselves, but to dispense his goodness and grace to others. But think, think the same way though about hospitality and care and faith and exhortation and, and however God has wired and gifted you. Are, are you willing to use that to dispense God's grace to others? Even when they bite back and step on your toes, can we continue to dispense God's grace? Last idea here, there are no spare parts. There are no spare parts in the church. There are no parts that are not needed. Paul takes kind of lengthy paragraphs to flesh this out with a picture of the body. Let's read verses, uh, starting with verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Because there are no spare parts, no leftover, extra, unneeded, independent parts, because of that, um, there, there should be no one with an inferiority complex that, oh, the church doesn't need me, I've got nothing to offer. No, every part is necessary, every part is essential, every part is needed, each part has purpose. Why? Because it says here that God placed each part exactly where he wanted it. He doesn't just give grace gifts to some, he gives grace gifts to everyone. Think about it. Someone right now over in the nursery is changing a baby's diaper. Is the person over there in the nursery changing a diaper less valuable than a person who plays an instrument or speaks up here? Not at all. Thank you. We should all say thank you very much. Because if, if everybody were uh, playing an instrument in the band, who would be changing the diapers of the babies and loving on them and nurturing them and bringing them up in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? All are needed. All are needed. There shouldn't be any inferiority complex. There should also not be a, a superiority complex. In other words, uh, well, I don't need anybody else. I have everything I need. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have everything you need. Uh, Paul says this very clearly, starting with verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I don't know why this is. Uh, 
It, it seems to me like difficulties and hardships and challenges are not equally distributed among people. For some people, it seems like life goes pretty smoothly and pretty well. And others, for some reason, seem to just have challenge and difficulty and problem one after another. And God's given us both in the church. And, and, and those for whom life seems to go pretty well, that's not an opportunity to say, well, I don't need anybody else. No, you're called to love and dispense God's grace and help. You are the hands and feet to those who are in need, who are hurting, who are struggling. But you also learn something in it. You, you discover the joy of dispensing God's grace, and you also learn something about perspective from those who are struggling. Sometimes people have kind of special needs and take special effort, but we also learn from them. S some of you have been here long enough will remember Dean Sandy, who um, ha had some unique special challenges, and yet when it came to worship and singing, <laughs> you know somebody loved Jesus, all right? Because he belted it out with all his heart, and you said, oh God, Help me to love you like Dean Sandy does. We learn from each other. In the church, there are VIPs and there are VDPs. You know what a VIP is? What's a VDP? A very draining person. I'm not going to name any names. All right? Curious, curious thing about very draining people is that they usually don't know it. But they too have been given grace gifts, but they've also been given to us as a church to demonstrate the grace of God so that God's grace is revealed to the world. Okay, we need each other. The rugged individualism of America has no place in the church. So what? Let's read our verse again. Let's read our verse again, all together out loud. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Memorize it. Believe it. Live accordingly. You are a part of the body of Christ. Now, you say, well, I know where this is headed. I know where this is going. <laughs> and you're right. Yes, of course. We want each person to find their place to minister and serve and use their gifts their grace gifts in the church. And if you look in the bulletin today, in the insert, you'll see lots of opportunities. Need still there for different kinds of people to be involved in dispensing God's grace in our body, the church. Yes, of course, and, and there'll be people, including me, out at uh, WL Central in the courtyard if you want to kind of get some more information on how to connect. Yes, that's important, and I urge you to think about that. But really what I want to leave you with is this. Am I withholding God's grace that he wants to dispense through me? Or am I willing to be a channel, a conduit, a dispenser of God's grace? And it doesn't, doesn't start and stop at the entrance to the church. Because we are the body of Christ all week long, whether we're at Depew or we're in the dorm or we're serving at Culver's or we're at home or we're in our neighborhood. We, that grace gift does, isn't just for these walls. It's us as God's people in the world remembering who we are, a group of called out people, called out to know and belong to Jesus, 
But if we're going to reveal him and call others out, then we need to be willing to be the people he's called us to be to dispense his grace and reveal him in the world. What does that look like in your life this week to know and to dispense the grace of God? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your grace, the free gift of your favor, being reconciled to you, not through anything I did, but through faith in what your son accomplished and did for us through his death and his resurrection. And I thank you for the grace of the presence of the almighty God in our lives. And I pray that we would have eyes to see the wonder of what you've called us to, to not only know your grace, but to be involved in your mission of spreading and and distributing and and allowing your grace to flow through us, God. Whatever hurdles or struggles or obstacles there are to that, I pray that your spirit would destroy them in our lives and help us to know the joy of being a part of your grace-giving heart. And all God's people said, go give grace. You're sent.